Thank you for that. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. David has been taken from Jesse's house and placed in the palace after he killed Goliath, just to catch us up for where we are here. And uh, David has been doing so well, uh, performing so well under Saul's, uh, the duties that Saul gave him that he's gaining popularity. And by the way, people like real, amen? People like integrity. And David was just who David was. He wasn't trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes the way that Saul was. Saul was a manipulator, as we've seen, and so he was trying to manipulate people. To, and, and folks are get turned off by that kind of behavior. And uh, they, they, David was just a, a real man of integrity, and that's something that people are drawn to. Uh, they don't like selfish, proud, vindictive people like Saul was. But now David has been demoted. And um, again, we're just kind of catching up to where we are. Uh, Saul has tried to kill him twice with a javelin while David is trying to play for him when the evil spirit comes. And unable to kill him with the javelin, in uh, chapter 18, verse 13, it says that Saul removed him, therefore, and made him a captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. So uh, David would no longer be in the king's court. He was removed from uh, the palace where uh, he would be a little more visible. Uh, but this did nothing to hurt David's popularity. He continued to become more popular. And uh, he's, it, so Saul's now in a bit of a pickle because the, he, he thought that removing David from the press room in the palace uh, where everybody would be seeing him all the time would maybe get him out of the mind of people. But now... David's approval polls are higher than his, and people don't like that, uh, as we've seen even in our society today. Everything rises and falls on approval polls, unless you want to run for president anyway, no matter how low your approval poll is. I mean, some people do that too, but uh, they, that's a big deal, and it was a big deal then too. David's was higher than Saul's by a lot. He had to do something, so he feigns kindness, and uh, he acts like he wants to honor David, even though he wants him dead. Let's look at what he does, starting at verse number 17. 1 Samuel 18, 17. And Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter Merib, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. <laughs> so he says aloud, Go and be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. To himself... Maybe he'll get killed doing that. That would be score one for me. And David said to Saul, Who am I, and who, what is my life or my father's family in Israel, that I should be the son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, to wife. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistine may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in, in the one of the twain. All right? We'll read a couple more verses as we go through. But like so many politicians even today, Saul is feigning artificial diplomacy here. Uh, he, he's, uh, this, and it consisted of using his two daughters to try to gain an upper hand against David. Saul's offering two or well, one at a time of his daughters to David for wife. Uh, but most of these, uh, like uh, his, his, like most of his schemes so far, this one backfired as well. 
Look at Proverbs, well, you don't turn, I can read it to you, but Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. God is ultimately in control. A lot of times our best laid plans, what is the old saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans? Uh, that's, that's often the case, and it was with Saul as well. So the first was the offer of Merib. And uh, this is the one that he offered first. And the plan was that uh, not, not my hand won't be on him, but the hand of Philistines will be on him. So his design for the marriage was the same as it was with the javelin throwing to kill David. He just changed his tactics. He didn't change his goal. His goal was the same. He wanted David dead. Uh, his, uh, he, he's going to try to do it now through this marriage proposal. Can you imagine using your daughters to accomplish a political agenda like this, your worst enemy in the world, marrying your daughters off to him, hoping that it'll be some way you can get him killed. Um, I've heard of using your son as a hunter for business deals, but um, anyway. But uh, using your children to get political gain. Uh, so what he hoped to do was to get, uh, to get David dead, is what he wanted to do. And uh, he used what, what he said was to fight the Lord's battles. Now, to earn Merib as a wife, the catch would be that David would have to be valiant for him or earn uh, this daughter in fighting the Philistines. Saul would have him prove his worthiness to be a king's uh, son-in-law. It is the tendency of young men still today to do something great to impress and attract uh, women that they admire, and sometimes to do this, they take unwise risks to do so. And Saul hoped this would be what would take David out, that he would do something foolish, that he'd go too far, and that he might get killed. The problem in this offer was that David did not have to do anything because when Goliath was getting his 10,000 steps in, walking back and forth along the valley and throwing those uh, contemptible remarks and talking and uh, cursing God and cursing the Israelites, uh, the promise at that time was whoever kills him gets the king's daughter to wife. Remember that? First Samuel 17. And uh, David did kill him, kill Goliath. And now Saul had not fulfilled that promise. So the offer of his daughter now having conditions on it is totally wrong. David killed Goliath. He had one of the daughters coming. Now, again, this is not how we think today, but this is how it was then. Uh, that uh, he had... You owe me one of your daughters because I killed Goliath. That's just how they dealt back then. Different way we have of thinking. I mean, I'm willing to do the work, but they're not willing to receive it. You know how that goes. Amen. Uh, look at the scheme. In verse 17, his mention of the Lord's battle was, was to make those that would hear or to publicly make it seem like Saul is being pious uh, he doesn't give a second thought anymore to what God wants in his life. He's long since departed that. And so uh, evil will often do this. It'll decorate itself in religious cloaks to try to make its more, itself more palatable and it makes it easier to deceive people. Look at David's response in verse 18. Who am I and what is my life for my father's family in Israel? So in spite of the fact that David deserved this because of Goliath, he still took a humble position. He had a humble and gracious attitude here. Uh, this is, there's no impropriety that Saul can point to. David stays above, he, he's on the high road throughout this entire episode here. And, and by the way, Saul is so inferior to David. We're seeing it through and through everything that we talk about uh, as we go through these stories. 
And then uh, look at verse 19. He get, basically gets cheated out of the daughter again because came to pass, Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David. She was given to Adriel, the Maholothite. So Saul went back on his word uh, because people like Saul can't be trusted. He's out for himself. Why Adriel? We don't know. But perhaps Adriel brought a good dowry or something Saul wanted or probably another political connection there. And so he gave his daughter to him. And uh, his design wasn't to do David good anyway. His design was murder. And so uh, that wasn't marriage. And so that's what he, uh, when murder failed, he gave his daughter uh, to another. Now, later, by the way, this tr proved tragic to Merab. Her children were killed by Gibeonites in 2 Samuel chapter 21 by order of God through David. And uh, I wanted to just stop here for a little bit because I have a, I want to give you just a, I learned a little bit of a lesson this week and I wanted to share it with you, okay? So uh, give you a little bit of inside baseball in, in prepping these messages. But I was doing some study this week and, um, and then I'm going to test you. So Pastor Nick cannot uh, be involved in this because we've, we talked about this earlier because when I saw this, I went to him and what's up with that? And then we were both looking at it until we, we came to an answer. Um, but in chapter 18, verse 19, we read here that, that uh, Merab was given to Adriel, Maholothite, to wife. And in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 8, the Bible talks about when her sons were killed. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Ammonia and Mephibosheth, the fought. Now listen carefully here. This is what I'm going I'm to ask you here in a minute, if you can come up with the solution to our problem. So Merab marries Adriel. And then here it says, uh, and he killed the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of or the Maholothite. This is in 2 Samuel 21, 8. Let me give you another verse. 2 Samuel 6, 23. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Uh-oh. Got a little problem there. Let me read those verses again. The five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the, the Maholothite. David had him killed. But in 2 Samuel 6, 23... Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child till the day of her birth. And in 2 Samuel 21, 8, Merib is the one that married Adriel. Oop, just tore my Bible. What gives with that? How do you explain that? Don't even, don't even, because it stumped me. If you have the answer, it means you're a little bit smarter than me. So, just, no, I'm couldn't Go ahead. That's exactly it. Very good. Very good. You saw it. That's good. The key words, whom she brought up. doesn't say she birthed or it doesn't say her husband, Adriel. So you're right. And uh, there is a little, there is actual Jewish tradition outside of the Bible that says Merib died uh, early on. So, but it is right there. It's hard to see. So you're just, all right, you get a few more IQ points above me. So I will uh, call you this week to write Sunday's sermon. I hope you'll be ready. So um, I'll throw a little, I'll throw a little more mud here. Okay. The ESV, oh, by the way, I went, to, I went to the original and it said Michael. So it wasn't like it was a bad translation. The original says Michael. The ESV changed it to Merib, the five sons of Merib, which it was the five sons of Merib, but that is not a correct translation. 
I'll just point that out. The King James was correct, even though it seems incorrect, even though it seems more confusing, it was the correct translation from the original. Okay, um, point of all this is this didn't work out well for Merib uh, because, and, and uh, you know, by default, Saul's daughter, things never go well when you try to trick God's anointed or try to misuse God's anointed. That never goes well. David knew this later when they, uh, he had a chance to kill Saul. He says, I'm not touching God's anointed. Well, David is God's anointed, and Saul's messing all over with him. It's gonna, he's going to pay for it. Okay, now, after the Merib incident, he offered his younger daughter to David, offers Michael. That, again, these customs are crazy. Yeah, the older daughter, she's gone, but I got another one here. Are you interested in her? I mean, the way they deal out their daughters, it's, it's incredible to how we think. Um, but Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. They told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So her, her affections for David, we assume, by the way, it was mutual. Uh, they, it pleased Saul, even though he hated David, because, again, he was not interested in the happiness of Michael. He's interested in the murder of David. So, so Michael presents yet another opportunity for Saul to have David killed. He's willing to use the daughter's affection, again, to accomplish his evil purposes. Sin takes you to really low places, and even to the point of where you're going to use your own family for your despicable uh, plans. Verse 21 gives the purpose for it. I will give him her that she may be a snare to him that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Saul intended to use Michael the same way that he had planned to use Merib, to get David to do something so dangerous might get him killed. By the way, does this ring any bells for you as I was going through this not that it means anything or a big connection but later David would do this to Uriah remember um, this is exactly what Saul's trying to do to David sadly David would do it and succeed with Uriah but anyway that's uh, something I was thinking the whole time I was working through this verse 22 to 23 and Saul commanded his servants saying commune with David secretly and say behold the king hath delight in thee and all his servants love thee now therefore be the king's son-in-law and Saul's servants speak these words in the ears of David. So Saul knew that after deceiving David about Merib, his word's not going to hold any weight. So he sends his servants, just whisper it to him. Make it seem like you're telling him a secret, and that'll, that'll uh, get this ball rolling there, I guess, because that's how he operated anyway. And uh, look at what they said to him. Tell uh, him thy, all his, the king hath delight in thee. That's a bold, bold-faced lie. That's not true. king detested David. But the second part is true. All his servants love thee. Uh, remember in chapter 18, verse 5, it says that he was accepted in the sight of all Saul's servants. They could see how much of a better person he was than Saul was. And again, his poll numbers showed it. Not that they were polling, but I'm just using that as so we understand. Evil has a habit of mixing truth in with lies, just like this. When it presents something, there'll be some truth in it. There'll be some lies in it. When we try to convince ourselves and do to do wrong, we... Focus on the truth in it and ignore the lies of it. This is an effective way to trap so many people. Listen to David's response this time, verse 23. David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I'm a poor man and lightly esteemed? David did not let flattery puff him up to let down his guard. This is huge because we do so often, don't we? Flattery has killed its thousands. Flattery is a way that people get other people to do things. Flattery is a bad trap to get caught in. Flattery is the art of telling another person what he thinks of himself. That's what flattery is. When you start 
buttering other people up, the reason it's effective is because they already think that about themselves and you're just agreeing with them. So most of us would rather be hurt by flattery than helped by criticism. We enjoy flattery. Now, isn't flattery nice? It is, unless it's really obviously fake. But I mean, if it's if, if flattery is great, just, you know, enough about you. Let's talk about me. We have that idea very often. So be careful. Be careful when people start buttering you up because uh, that's uh, sometimes can be some danger. David pointed out his inability to pay the dowry. So, uh, of course, a, a, a king's daughter deserved something and there was an expectation for it. But also, David did not need to do anything because he had already been promised a daughter by killing Goliath. So don't forget that part of it. Uh, but he, was, he didn't allow Saul's cheating attitude cancel out his own graciousness. And I think that says a lot about David. What a man of character he was, especially compared to Saul. Now look at the price. Verse 25, when Saul's servants reported what David said. Uh, in verse 25, let's read the... Uh, the king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. Okay, that's a thing. So you go out and you kill a hundred Philistines and remove their foreskins like you do and bring it back and give them to Saul in a sack, I guess. I don't know how that looked, but uh, not the way we work, but that's how, uh, that's what he said. So bring these back and uh, that's, he's, he's to go out and uh, kill. We know why, right? We understand. Hopefully, he'll get killed in the process. He's hoping he gets killed. And it gave Saul an opportunity here to improve his selfish situation, while at the same time making him look religious. Uh, circumcision was a sign of a covenant with Israel, uh, and between Israel and God. And uncircumcised nations were despised, and so demanding a hundred foreskins would make it. This would make it appear that Saul is concerned about this covenant. He's not at all. This is just trying to hurt David. And he gave Saul an opportunity to kill his rival as well, killing 100 Philistines and then engaging in mutilation. That was a risky thing to do, which is exactly what Saul wanted. It would enrage the Philistines. It would put David in danger. And it would give Saul the hopeful opportunity of getting rid of his enemy. Of course, it did not work because Saul was working against God. And when we work against God, good things do not happen. Bad things happen. Uh, it's more, don't miss this point here, it is more risky for Saul who sits in safety at his palace out of the will of God than it was for David out in battle in the will of God. It's more risky. We think it's safer, but it's not. It's the safest place to be is right in God's will, right where God wants you. Don't make that mistake uh, in your life, okay? Now, the payment. And this is where we close tonight. When, look at verse 26. When his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Wherefore David arose and went, and he and his men and slew the Philistines 200. Saul had said 100. He said 200. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full tale to the king. David paid twice the amount required. This is symbolic of David's performance in all matters of his life. He, I read this, I think this is a great point. I don't even know who made this statement, but the difference between average and successful people can be explained in three words, and then some. Successful people do what is expected of them, them and then some. 
They are thoughtful to others. They're considerate and kind. And then some. They meet their responsibilities and obligations fairly and squarely. And then some. They are good to their friends. They can be counted on in an emergency. And then some. This is the type of person. David was the and then some type of man. And I kind of close with that challenge tonight. Would we be that type of Christian? Jesus called it going the extra mile. Uh, the extra mile is beyond expectation. The first mile is expectation. That's where we're supposed to be. That's doing only what we're supposed to do. But the going the second mile is going further than what you're supposed to do. And by the way, it's never crowded the second mile. Four days ago, I went to visit Raina, and I wanted an ice cream cone afterwards. Bad mistake, because I pulled into a fast food place, and I got it, and then I got caught in this cluster of traffic. Have you seen the traffic in Sioux Falls lately? You'd think you were in L.A. in some parts. And I got caught in this cluster of traffic that um, I was 40 minutes. I mean, it was in like a three-block radius. Nothing's moving. Everything is just completely gridlocked. And... Uh, how did I get off on that? Anyway, uh, oh, that's, that's the first mile is often very crowded. The second mile, there's no traffic. All right, very few people are up there. David was that type of person, and then some. He superseded what was demanded and expected. And too many of us try to get by with the very least amount of effort possible. Tell me what I need to do just to squeak by. That's a bad attitude for us to have. It would be a great testimony for Christ if every one of us did what we should and then some. Luke chapter 17, verse 10, Jesus said this. This is convicting. Likewise, ye, when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what is our duty to do. So and when you've done everything God tells you to do, you're not even profitable yet. You've just done what you're supposed to. You want to be profitable and then some. Verse 28, Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. And this is a good testimony David has, so good that his enemy saw it. And in today's terminology, we would say that Saul saw that David was a Christian simply because of the way he acted. And I can ask you tonight, do people, if you tell somebody you're a Christian, are they shocked? They shouldn't be. People should see it or should expect it by the way that you live and by the way you act. People ought to see a consistent testimony in your life few uh not long ago i walked into our bathroom and i flicked the light switch and a brilliant light f flash and then i'm dark you ever had that happen to you light bulb you experience the last second of its life and uh does you no good now you're still in the dark but you have that bright flash and sometimes christians are like that saul was like that he had a bright flash in the beginning and then he went dark uh, we expect a flash when we hit, hit the light switch. We expect it to flash, but we also expect it to stay on and continue to shine, amen, continue to burn. And uh, we uh, sometimes, sometimes it takes a little work, it takes a little effort to keep shining and to keep doing our job as a Christian. But when a light bulb shines and then quits on us, it's infinitely frustrating, isn't it? It doesn't happen in the middle of the day, it happens at night or early when you need it. It's frustrating. And I can tell you that when we do the same and we just have a bright flash and then quit on God, that's it's frustrating. It's frustrating to His work. It's frustrating His purpose. It's frustrating to our mission. 
let's be faithful, consistent Christians like David was. David was uh, consistent. He was faithful. He went further than he was required to go. He had a great attitude. He was humble, and he made an impact for the Lord. Saul was not. David was consistent. Saul was convenient. Whatever, when it was convenient, he did, he did something for the Lord. If it was not, he did not. And we need to uh, identify ourselves as well in that. Father, we thank you for the lessons of